It's my first time to share the word of the Lord in this church, and I really count it as a big privilege and a responsibility, so I don't take it lightly. And I really trust I'll be able to convey something of God's heart from His word and to impart something which we can take away because faith without works is dead. And so whatever we hear, we've got to put into action somehow by the grace of God and with His help. So this morning, I'm going to have to put my glasses on now. That's the next bit of paraphernalia as you get older. This morning, I would like to share something on our response to God's call. Our response to His call and more specifically, how we react to certain instructions. Are we obedient or are we disobedient? Or as some people say, delayed obedience is disobedience. And how that can affect the lives of other people, not just our own life, but also how our levels of obedience affect the lives of other people that we interact with on a daily basis or in the wider world that we work or live in. If we can just turn to the book of Matthew chapter 4, we can start there, Matthew chapter 4, and starting at verse 18. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's quite something to see their reaction and how quickly they responded to the call of Jesus. We must remember at this time, even though Jesus had been preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, they were not 100% sure he was the Messiah. There are different accounts. This one is in uh, Matthew. There's one in Luke 1, 16 to 20. There's another account in John, 5, uh, John 1 and Luke 5. So there are about four different accounts of the calling of the first disciples. Matthew and Mark, it's almost word for word. And in the other Gospels, it's a bit differently. But we know that these were the first disciples that were called by Jesus. And we know that today, we as believers from South Africa, from Holland, from wherever in the nations are here because of the grace of God and because these men said, immediately, I'll drop my nets and I'll follow after Jesus. So if we just quickly look at the scripture, I'm not going to spend a long time in this one. They were busy with their, they were occupied with their daily business. It's not like they were doing, uh, they were just on a fishing trip. Jesus knew he called them from their daily life and their daily responsibilities and their source of income. Secondly, they clearly heard him. He maybe didn't call them by name, but they clearly heard him. 
Thirdly, we see in verse 20 to 22, they immediately followed. And there was a two-part call. The first part was, follow me, which is our number one call to get to know Jesus and to follow him. And the second part of the call was, I will make you fishers of men. And this call is still for us today. Jesus is calling us first just to follow him. It's not, it's not complicated. It's, it's difficult sometimes, as Charles was sharing. But it's not complicated. And the second part is he wants to equip us, each and every believer, to become a fisher of men. Whether it be in prayer, whether it be in evangelizing, whether it be in talking to your neighbor, your family, your friends, but that call is still for all of us for today. And I wondered to myself, why did Jesus call these men? There were two sets of brothers. It's interesting. They were in business together. They even say that uh, James and John were in partnership with Peter and Andrew. I'm not sure. But they say they were business partners or something. Who knows? But, but somehow they were willing to leave what they were doing. And they, and they didn't completely leave fishing. They carried on being fishermen in between, as Paul was also a tent maker. They carried on with their occupation, but they still became fishers of men. So why did Jesus call these two sets of brothers? And I believe the answer, or this is, I'm not saying this is written anywhere in a concordance or a Bible study guide, is that they responded immediately. They responded immediately. And all of us know, if you're a parent or a teacher or a boss, there's nothing better than getting an immediate response, an immediate obedience from someone. Someone that does, as you tell them straight away, that's going to be the first person you're going to employ. That's probably going to be your favorite child, although we shouldn't have favorite children or grandchildren. But it makes it a lot easier when people obey immediately. So, qualification, God knew he would call. Jesus prayed about it as well, I'm sure. He selected them. But then he needed a, a response from them. And the response was they immediately followed. So if we look at, we look at this, we, we, have to, we have to see in ourselves they were, they were available to obey his instructions. They were obedient. There was a whole lot of other things that went wrong afterwards. Peter denied Christ. Peter only later said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But they followed immediately. So they were qualified. Do what you get told to do by the Lord. And, that, and his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. That's what the word says. But we have to listen to his voice. Okay, so I've just got to refer to my notes again. The last thing I want to say about the call of the first disciples is we need to consider what would have happened if they did not obey the call. Yes, I'm sure Jesus would have used somebody else. But that same thing applies for us today. What happens if we don't listen to the voice of God in our own lives and in the lives of other people? Because we know that some of these men wrote Gospels inspired by the Holy Spirit or wrote uh, books of the Bible, of the New Testament. Many of them, miracles were done in their name. They touched people's lives. Their families were saved. People were set free from demonic powers because they stepped out and did what God called them to do. And I want to encourage us today 
not to think it's too difficult to do these things. Just listen to the voice of God. It might be pray for someone. It might be give a glass of water to someone or food or whatever. But the Lord wants to speak to us. And the more we train ourselves in immediate obedience, the easier it becomes. Okay, so if we look into the fruit of this immediate response or obedience and we compare it to a delayed response or disobedience, it's quite something to consider. And as we were worshiping today, we were talking about the one that holds the universe in his hand. The one that holds the universe in his hand. And the other song said, I am yours. I am yours. And so we need to understand when God speaks to us, we, we all know this, I'm, I'm not trying to talk down or state the obvious, but that we are listening to the highest authority that there is. Because when we respond normally, immediately, when we obey immediately, there's normally three reasons. Either it's authority speaking to us, the traffic cop says, stop, get out your license. You don't say, no, no, I'm not interested in this story. I'll get out my license another day. Authority makes us obey immediately. Urgency makes us obey immediately. If the house is on fire, put water on it. And the third thing that makes us obey immediately or react immediately is that which is we are passionate about. Put the TV on immediately, the soccer's on, the rugby's on, the cricket's on. You know, you, when you tell your son, go put the TV on or fix the DSTV uh, antenna because the rugby's coming on, they, they're up there quickly. They're up there quickly because they're passionate about it. So I ask myself today, do I recognize or do I acknowledge God's authority over my life? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm His. He's purchased me with His blood. Secondly, is an urgency. And then thirdly, what am I passionate about that helps me to obey Jesus as these disciples did? Okay, then we're quickly going to look. Uh, I'm just going to refer to these uh, scriptures. There's three biblical characters that are selected to show or to demonstrate this obedience or disobedience. And the second one is Joseph, the husband of Mary. In Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, there are four dreams that were given to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Four dreams, and to all four of them, he had to listen and he had to obey because the preservation of the life of Jesus depended upon him. They depended upon his reaction. Now you can say, well, it's in a dream and God spoke and it was easy. But it was not easy for him. So the first one, and I'm just referring to these scriptures, was an angel appeared to him and said, take this woman to be your wife. He knew she was pregnant. It was a shameful thing in the culture. He was going to put her away. But the Lord spoke to him and said, take this woman to be your wife, and the child will be called Emmanuel and so on. And the next morning, he got up and he did it. The next dream that came to him was after Jesus was born. It's also, I think it's, that's in Matthew chapter 2, the next three dreams. And he said, the angel spoke to him and said, take the child and the mother and flee to Egypt. So it, said, it says in Matthew chapter 2, he took the mother, Mary, 
the child Jesus by night in winter, we presume, and they fled to Egypt. And because Joseph obeyed that, a prophecy was fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. But we know that even though Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as a child, his life had to be preserved by the obedience of his father. And then the third dream was when they were in Egypt and they had escaped the slaughter of all those children, the third dream was, okay, now it's time to go back to Judea or to Israel. So leave Egypt now. You've got comfortable. Your children are growing up. You know, I'm sure they liked Egypt. There was garlic and leeks and fish there and all that, you know. They also probably wanted to get out of there, but I don't think their life was so bad there. I don't think it was so uncomfortable. I don't know. Uh, These are not things that's a doctrine or something. I'm just using my imagination. And he... But the call of God had to be fulfilled. So Jesus, the child Jesus, had to come back to Israel. So now he's on his way back to Israel, to Judea. But Herod's son is still ruling. And the threat of where is this king? Who's in control? We want to still kill this Jesus. Is still there. So on his way somewhere, on his way back to Judea, he gets another dream. He says, no, no, don't go to Judea. Go to Galilee. Go where the Gentiles are. Actually go to Nazareth. And he was diverted on his trip. And he went there. And we know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. That's what we call him, eh? So he's called Jesus of Nazareth maybe for many reasons. But one reason is because of Joseph's obedience. And so Joseph is really an example of someone that heard God. Maybe it was a specific instruction. Maybe it seems clear. I don't know if anybody ever had an angel appear to them or it's such a clear dream. But God wants to speak to us. And why he speaks to us, it's the, 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 the example that I get out of the life of Joseph is to keep the life of Jesus alive in us. Come follow me. Keep the life of Jesus. So the, I'm just taking this as, as my own thoughts. Because Herod and his demonic forces wanted to kill Jesus. But God had a plan. But his plan had to work through a man and a woman. Very much so. So it's important. So we look at Joseph as an example of obedience. Okay, then quickly, an example of disobedience. Jonah. You don't have to turn there. I think we all know the story. So in Jonah's case... Delayed obedience or disobedience had consequences. Okay? And even though the final result was fruitful and it was blessed, there was some trouble in between that Jonah caused. Jonah chapter 1 sums it up. I think, I think we all know the story of Jonah, hey? But you normally think of Jonah and the whale and he got spat out and all of that. But think about it. God is calling Jonah to go to the most fearsome, aggressive, frightening nation of the Assyrians to the, one of the greatest cities of the time in the world and say, repent. I sometimes can't even tell myself to repent. I can't sometimes tell my neighbor to repent. But it was a big ask. 
So I'm just quickly excusing Jonah before we get into him. It was a big ask. The Assyrians were crazy people. They were vicious. But God knew he could trust Jonah. Okay, so, but let's call Jonah for this moment of time, Jonah's a disobedient son. Because that's what the heading says in my chapter 1 in my New King James. Jonah's disobedience. So the first thing is we know the word says he went down to Jaffa or Joppa and he got on a ship. And he had to pay money to get on that ship. When we're disobedient, it can sometimes cost us. You've got to pay for disobedience. Okay, he had to pull out that money and then he went. Then of course we know what happened. A storm came. A massive storm. Okay, and so all the guys on board, these sailors, they're going crazy. They're showing the, throwing the cargo over. And I don't know if the, who's in shipping business. Was there insurance in those days? Any historians here? Was there any insurance? So the guys throwing it over, they're thinking, I've got to survive, but this cargo must go overboard. Else I'm going to die, and we don't know who's going to pay for this. Somebody's going to pay for that. A whole shipload of, of uh, coal cargo, or whatever you call it, a shipload of cargo got thrown overboard. That's a lot. And Jonah's sleeping. Now, I know that Jesus was also sleeping in the boat, but there's something about disobedience that puts us into a slumber. It makes us dull. It makes us not aware of what's going on around us. It makes us not aware of what other people are going through. It can. It can make us, put us in that situation. And then finally, of course, it ended well. And I'm reminded of that scripture. I think it's in Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the end was good. The soldiers, not the soldiers, the sailors worshipped God. They sacrificed to the Lord because they realized that when the storm stopped, this is, this is Jonah's God that we're talking about. Jonah eventually went to Nineveh and they all did repent. So everything worked out well. God worked it out and he used it. But what I just want to share briefly is that Jonah's disobedience did cost. And disobedience in our life to the voice of God, even if it's a difficult task, there are consequences. There's no condemnation. But there are consequences if we don't listen to that voice. Amen. Is it too heavy? Is it okay? Okay, can we go on? Can we get the next uh, scripture up, please? The book of Acts. Chapter 8. Verse 26 to 40. It's quite long if you can just bear with me. But I'd like to read the whole portion. Is everybody still fine? I know it's hot and stuffy. Are we all okay? Okay, so now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading... Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, 
do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Just because of time, we'll stop there with that if you don't mind. So I think we've all got the story or the details of the story. I'm just turning there if you don't mind. So the background to this, the background to the story is that the church had been persecuted in Jerusalem. There was a great persecution. They got scattered, and Philip prayed, or somehow he decided to go to Samaria. Now Samaria was an area of the Gentiles or mixed race, whatever, but it, they weren't pure Jews. So he went there, and a revival broke out. And earlier on in Acts chapter eight, said there was great joy in the city. People were getting delivered of demons. People were being healed. People were coming to, to know Jesus, coming to salvation. So much so that Peter and John also went to Samaria. They also went to those cities and they prayed and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's this huge amazing revival go on, going on. And then God says to Philip, who's actually the leader of the revival, he's the, he's the big pastor you could say in today's modern terms, but he's actually just a humble servant of the Lord, go down to this desert road and stand on the side of the road and wait to see what happens. And he went. And it says, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to refer to each verse. It's all there. And you can have a look at it if you get time. It says, this is desert. So the first thing is, go from your place where this revival's happening and go to that road. Now that road was probably quite busy, but it was also a very deserted place. Okay? So Philip goes down there, and the Ethiopian man, this high authority, a man of great authority, must realize at that time that was probably one of the richest empires of the world, and this guy was in charge of all the money. So God also wants to save people of influence. He wants to save the poor blind beggar. He wants to save the woman with the issue of blood. He wants to save the needy, but he also wants to save those who are in authority. And this guy had authority. And he had a lot of money under his control. 
So that empire was probably a bit north, not where Ethiopia is today, but anyway. So this guy's been worshipping God. He has a love for God. He knows something of the Bible. You could say he was a religious man. He had been up to worship at the feast, and now he's on his way back on the chariot. Okay. And the Lord says to him, to Philip, go and overtake the chariot. Okay, now I don't know how fast the chariot moves, but he had to run, so he ran. Caught up with the chariot, and because he caught up with the chariot, he heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. So if he didn't run, he wouldn't have heard. Because in those days they would read the word of God aloud. It was, it was like custom to read the word of God aloud, the Psalms and different portions of scripture. So he read it and he heard him. So that was the second step of obedience. Okay? He overtook the chariot. And then Philip had to ask a question. Do you understand what you are reading? So there are many people that we come into contact with on a daily basis. They know something about God. They know something about Jesus. They know about the Bible. They even say they pray or they worship God. But sometimes we have to ask them, do you understand what you are reading? And then the man says, how can I understand unless someone explains to me? I think it's Romans 10, 14. How can... How will they hear unless someone preaches to them or teaches them? Don't presume that people know the Word of God. Don't presume that people understand it. I didn't understand it. My sister and a friend of hers had to preach the Word of God to me and tell me I must be born again and tell me I must repent and tell me I must be baptized because I thought I understood the way to God, but I didn't. So Philip carries on in his, his, uh, and the story unfolds. And uh, he explains from the prophet Isaiah what's going on. And then it says in verse 15, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus to him. And that's the difficult part sometimes for us. So now we get into a, co a contact with someone and we're sharing with them and we're talking about God and we're talking about the Bible, and we're having like a conversation. They're quite interesting. But then the time comes where it's a little bit more challenging. And we, are we going to go for it, or are we going to hold back? Are we going to stop and say that was a nice conversation, and there's nothing wrong with that? But the, sometimes the Holy Spirit presses you, preach Jesus to them. Tell them about Jesus. Not about this, not about that, and about the weather and everything. And those things are all important. We must love people. But sometimes loving them is telling them about Jesus. So he explains to him. And of course we know they got baptized. And um, the chariot stood still and they went into the water. And then suddenly Philip was caught away. He was transported, we don't know how, to a place probably about 20 kilometers away from there. Excuse me. So the man went on his way rejoicing. When people hear the gospel and they understand it, they will rejoice. They will rejoice. Who was happy when they got saved? Who was happy when they got saved? We rejoice. We were like so happy. We like want to tell everybody and we want to praise God and thank God. But as time goes on, sometimes it doesn't stay. So we want to, if we want to make people rejoice, 
we sometimes have to take a chance and preach Jesus to them. We should want to do it, but sometimes it's difficult. So we see all these different steps of obedience. The guy goes on his way. Philip is transported. He goes back to Ashdod or Azotus. It's a city on the coast of Israel. And he makes his way up the coast back to go and preach back to, I don't know where he went, Samaria or he went somewhere else. So in short, we see three different lives. Obedience, delayed obedience, which is disobedience, and then obedience to the word of God and to instructions. And I want to, it's been long, I want to finish off here. So I just want to say we serve a God that longs to speak to us. He's given us his commands, his, his, his daily commands. I'm just going to take my notes. It's a bit lighter here. And he's given us general commands for our good and for the good of other people. For our good and for the good of other people. He's given us specific instructions. Sorry, I have to put my glasses back on. I'm almost done. So what I would like to say is that our choice today influences our next choice. The choices you make today to obey God makes it more and more easy to obey God in the future. Secondly, I want to say that obedience is a process. It's not an event. It's not just a one-off thing. It's a process. It's not an event. And thirdly, there's opposition to obedience. Obedience is a word that is almost antiquated. It's out of date. And people don't want to hear about obedience anymore. So God is calling us to do things immediately. He's calling us to do things immediately. We don't always know the things that we, the specific instructions, but we know the general ones. Repent and be baptized. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we know them. There's four, some people have said there's 49 commands of Christ. So this morning I want to encourage us. Recognize that authority. Ask God what is urgent and ask God to make it your passion. And then just to end with one last scripture. All of us aim for friendship with Christ. If we can have that last scripture. We're all aiming to be friends of Christ. And John 15, 4 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So may the Lord help us to be obedient children. Amen.